What does the war in Ukraine mean to us in America? Welcome to The Hub for Important Ideas. I'm Steve James. And I'm Ken Swain. In this episode, we discuss the war in Ukraine, its implications, and the most difficult aspects for us Americans and the rest of the world. We're calling this our Kitchen Table Series. It's the way we used to talk with each other when we were just hanging out at my kitchen table before the pandemic and before our even our first podcast. And nobody cares. No, probably not. But the point is that these are our opinions, unless we're referencing what someone else has already said. Our humble opinions. Our humble opinions, thank you. We know this war has been covered and discussed, even, you know, seven ways to Sunday, 24-7, but it's on our minds, and we feel compelled, at least I do, to talk about it a bit. I'm with you. Great. Let's talk about the war. Okay. In our episode on war in December, Dr. Jerry Piven had this to say. War can be a fantasy because whatever the reality and the facts may be, we still imbue them with fantasy. We interpret these events, whatever the reality of the events, we interpret them in fantastical ways. We can distort them in ways that fulfill our own fantasies born of terror and desire, even though they may not be a threat to American soil, and even though they might be committing various kinds of real human rights violations and doing some despicable things, the reality of those things, as I said, is is always going to be different from the way we imagine and fantasize people as some sort of cosmic evil enemy. And that's part of the problem is the space between the reality of things and the fantasy. It's a fantasy. I just feel like everybody is looking at it from a very traditional point of view, which, of course, you can't help. They're saying this is a foreign war. It's not us. We're not going to commit troops. We're going to have sanctions. People are speculating, is Vladimir Putin totally sane? which is a a question. Definitely a factor. And the Ukrainian people are courageous in their resistance. We saw this terrific documentary. It's a documentary about the Ukrainian resistance to their own government, their own police. And the Ukrainian people just fought back and fought and fought. And you go, oh, the Russians have no idea what these people are capable of. Yeah. If they would do this with their own police, their own government, and they toppled the government, and they put a new government in place, they won. That's how ferociously they fight in their own. Imagine how they're going to be against external invaders. So this war, some people have said it could go 10 years. Yeah, man. Because look at what happened when Russia invaded Afghanistan. And look what happened when we invaded Afghanistan. We were in Afghanistan 20 years. Yeah. And, I mean, they're pretty tough people, too. Yep. (laughs) But I don't know that the Ukrainians, even if they lose, even if the Russians take Kiev, or Kiev, as some people call it, are they going to then just go into the hills and continue to fight and fight and fight? No. And... The Russians, maybe it's only a handful of people, maybe it's Putin and his immediate cabinet or supporters, but are they prepared for a a long, protracted war, one in which their economy is taking a huge beating? I wrote an article, a blog once, Standing Your Ground in the Nuclear Age. 
He sounds like a <laughs> tongue in cheek. Stand your ground is a an American trope. It's I know what it means. Yeah. And it's very human. It's very non nuclear. You can't stand your ground in the nuclear age without risking the whole world. And that's where we are right now. I've seen footage of bombs. Even buildings can't stand their ground. (laughs) (laughs) Cement structures. No. They just melt. And, And we're flirting with this disaster. We're flirting with nuclear war. We're risking destroying the damn planet. Yeah. Even a minor nuclear exchange could kill a billion people. We're talking about Russia, Europe, and the U.S. poised with these missiles pointed at each other, and the Russians have gone to high alert, which means that any idiot could hit the button and and wipe out and here we whole go. cities. Yeah. Now, at the same time, the Chinese are sitting there going, well, let's see how this plays out, because they want Taiwan as much as the Russians want Ukraine. But the Taiwanese are armed to the teeth with American-made military. But you can't possibly fight a war with China. That's insane. One and a half billion people? They must have an army like the size of, you know, the population of Texas. Yeah. They have nukes. No, they don't have as many conventional weapons. They don't have as many... For example, they don't have as many aircraft carriers. They don't have as many nuclear submarines and all of that. Right. But you can't. They got plenty of drones on that. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> yeah, probably. They make them all. They make all the drones. For us. So they're sitting there saying, well, let's see how this plays out, folks. Because if we're engaged in this quagmire of potential war over Ukraine, it's pretty obvious no one in NATO, no one in the U.S. is going to send troops to fight in Ukraine. We'll send in supplies. We'll send in munitions, but we're not going to send in people. We have a couple of – this doesn't get talked about much, but I know – We have bases. We have advisors. Advisors. So the Chinese are thinking, well, while nobody's looking, we'll just take Taiwan. And nobody's going to do anything. No one is going to do a thing about that. The Japanese are not going to, the South Koreans, Philippines, Australians, nobody nobody in that sphere is going to mess with the Chinese. And the Chinese know this. Yes. But they don't want to upset the world order. They don't want to disturb their money making they're making money hand over fist right so so you know we owe them like two trillion dollars but again we're flirting with the very real possibility of a nuclear exchange and russia and china are being pushed into a very unholy alliance which includes north korea and iran and a couple of other bad actors for want of a better term yeah and the un is powerless yeah, they have resolutions and, you know, so what? Everybody <laughs> goes, great. Right, right. And let's face it, the only thing that anybody respects is force, is violence, the threat of violence. Yep. Yeah, sanctions do stuff, yes, yep. of course. But 
no, not like standing up and taking a bullet. Right. Right now you've got, depending on who you listen to, but right now you've got, let's say 5,000 people have died. That ain't nothing. No. One death would be something. When it's 5,000, everybody goes, ah. Right. You know, what the hell? But Russians are dying. Ukrainian children are dying. It's not just soldiers. They're people who are, they're fighting to defend their homes. They're fighting to defend their streets. Wow. It's going to go house to house in Kiev. Looking at the Ukrainians, unless the Ukrainians somehow come to some agreement, but it doesn't look like they're coming to any kind of agreement. The only thing they've agreed on is passages for refugees peacefully to exit the country, and a million refugees have already left Ukraine. That alone could undo the European Union. When two million Syrian refugees came into Europe, it caused untold havoc with the political system. Brexit is a direct result result of of the number of immigrants that were flooding England and these autocratic governments that have sprung up in Hungary and Poland and Austria, they're a result of this influx of Middle Eastern immigrants. Well, now you've got refugees that have flooded Poland. It, this is... It's not a small thing. No. This is major. This could undo the Western alliance as people go... I care, but I don't care enough to have this Ukrainian immigrant take my job. Right. I feel for them, but to hell if they're flooding here and living in a camp is going to destroy our way of life. Yeah. 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 So you've got the threat of nuclear war. You've got the threat of the wheels coming off the Western world as we cope with this, this threat. And I don't see a solution. I sit here and go, well, let's hope that so-and-so, you know, Biden or somebody works this out. Macron in France, he's been very active in negotiating and all. But we really don't understand what the Russians are really about here. People are speculating. But we really don't know if they have legitimate grievances or they just have ambitions that they want Ukraine back. Russia and Ukraine together put out 30% of the world's grain. Wow. They feed a third of the planet with their agriculture. Ukraine was always called the breadbasket of Europe. Their wheat production is incredible. Well, what's going to happen to that? Are people going to start starving? And then you've got the whole problem with energy the Russian oil and gas that fuels the energy needs of Europe. The U.S. is not dependent on them, and the U.S. is not dependent on their wheat. We grow wheat to export, and we're energy sufficient right now. Thanks to new technology, we have a surplus of oil, so we're kind of insulated from that. But we're not insulated from the potential banking crash that's looming on the horizon. We're not insulated from the recession, the worldwide recession that's going to result from this. So you've got yeah. you've got three threats hanging over our heads. 
nuclear war, which is just unfathomable, right? the flood of refugees that's going to unhinge the European Union, and then what it's going to do to the economy of the world Yeah, that's going to affect everybody. People are going to die just from that. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. People will die because if the Ukrainians don't plant their crops now in the next month or so, right? This is the spring planting season, planting season right. right? If they don't put them in the ground, they don't harvest in the fall. People starve. A lot of people yeah. starve. No. Not just Ukrainians. China depends on these guys for food, right? The ramifications are just horrific. And I don't believe the U.S. press is harping on that because I just get the feeling they're beating the drums for war. It just seems like they're on a war footing and they're pushing it. The Russians thought they were going to drive to Kiev and they thought it would be all over by now, but they met fierce resistance and blah, blah, blah. I feel like I'm watching a war movie, you know, a Hollywood war movie, the way they're reporting on it. You're talking about our the, reporters. Our, in, our media. In the U, yeah. Yeah. And I'm thinking, is anyone as terrified? Is anyone looking at this as the incredible threat that it is? I guess they are, but I don't not, hear Not it. in the mainstream. I don't hear it talked about that way. It's probably bad for business, so they don't. <laughs> yeah. That's what drives a lot of what you hear, yeah, right. you know? You're right. I know I'm right. It is bad. You're, and you're right. It's, it's bad, bad for business. For business we, why do we need to bother them? Let's keep everybody buying. I, I think China would have taken Taiwan by now if it wasn't bad for business. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting article in the Times this weekend, past weekend. You know, Friedman writes about the world is flat, the mm. wired world we're in. And yep. he's saying this is a wired war. Interesting. And he said Google Maps showed the Russian tanks on the roads because they wanted viewers to know where the traffic jams were going to be caused by the Russian tanks. Well, the whole idea that the fog of war and you can just bring your forces in and nobody's going to know, satellites see everything. Yes, they do. You can't hide war tank has, movement anymore. War has changed fifth, dramatically. Fifth grade children now yes. have the technology yeah. at their at their disposal to yeah. my see son tank was saying, movement. My, my son was saying there is a way to access cameras in cities around the world. I've heard of that. I don't know what it's called. I forget. It's called right. the next step in Big Brother. <laughs> well, he was looking at traffic ca- traffic cameras. He's looking at the streets of uh, uh, the cities in Ukraine, and he's going, "Well, you know, there." I don't see any Russian troops in there. Well, they all seem to be going about their business. Like, holy shit. You used to have to have spies, right? Yeah. Hunkering down in these cities with clandestine. And and they would decide what portion of that (laughs) that top secret, (laughs) top secret knowledge was going to be released to the citizenry. Now now it's just like, now your son is accessing the cameras. Everybody on the planet has access to this. Yeah, this is crazy. It's crazy. But how? How do you fight a war under these conditions? That's what Friedman's saying. This is a wired war, folks. Social media has changed the rules of engagement. Yeah. And you got to think about that. Now, we not only are getting data from the Russian government and the Ukrainian government, 
one side is saying there are 500 dead and the other side is saying there's 5,000 dead. You know, they're contradicting each other. Yep. But you've got video of people dying that you can watch every single day. Yeah. Every hour you can go and watch what's going on in the battles. It's magnitudes ahead of what we saw in In the Vietnam Vietnam War. Vietnam was... That was heavily edited for us. Yeah, and and there was a a built-in delay because even if it was shot and uploaded to a satellite and downloaded from a satellite and then was it's, taken and edited and then yeah, put on it, the air. It took a little while. It was there was a there was a delay in there. This is instantaneous. Yes. And it's unfiltered. Right. The filtering is something that you really have to stop and think about because like I said, it feels like we're on a war footing. Yeah. It feels and, and war is horrifying. <sighs> I mean, we're not built for it, man. No, we're not built for this. I, I still can't get through the first 30 minutes of Saving Private Ryan without yeah. looking away at times. I just have to look away. It's too horrific. Or later in the movie in Saving Private Ryan, when they're listening and listening, and here comes the tank, and you hear the tank clang, 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 and you're going, oh, my God, what, what are these guys with rifles going to do against this tank? Well, that's what's going on in Ukraine right now. They're not even soldiers standing up to these tanks. These are civilians. Regular citizens. Yeah, citizens who are tough as nails, but they're not. Tank, they're, not they're not tank toughs. <laughs> but it, I don't mean to laugh, but it's just the absurdity of this can't be lost on the people involved. And I just keep thinking, this is madness beyond anything we've experienced before we thought of war a certain way. Yes. It was an Audie Murphy movie, was Porkchop Hill, whatever, you know, John Wayne. It's turned into something radically different. And But we don't know, is it for the better or worse? Well, that's one observation I like to make about these things is that illusory nature of our hero system requires that we give everything a yes vote until otherwise instructed. We just accept technology. We just welcome it in. Unlike the Amish, they look at every new thing and they decide if they're going to have it or not have it. I always thought that that was quaint and silly until I really thought about it. Then how the heck do you know that it's going to be fine? And I mean, 50, 100 years from now, they're going to talk about the kids. Jonathan Haidt already charts the skyrocketing suicide rate to the year that the iPhone was put in the hands of teenagers. He's got a graph. You couldn't see this coming? But think about what Jerry Piven was saying to us, that it's a fantasy. It's people who are living in a, a fantastical world in which war is this heroic effort, and it's not logical, it's not rational, it's emotional, it's based on illusions that are unreal. And I'm wondering, just spitballing, do the cameras and the satellites remove some of the illusion, remove some of the fantasy? So we're not just sitting there going, oh, the heroic Ukrainians are fighting those bad Russians Oh, and some of the Russians are throwing down their weapons, and there's hope for the Ukrainians, and we're going, yeah, you know, it's like a, like a movie. Or a video game. Yeah, like a video game, yeah. right, like a video game. And yet, 
some of the fantasy has been removed. It's not as glamorous and glorious and heroic. It's people getting slaughtered by unconscionable use of the most lethal technology. Yeah. And you got to be really careful when you say war is 100% fantasy. You really can't say that to somebody who lost children. No. That's just not right to say that to them. They're damming up their grief. I mean, you just say it was all for nothing. That's, in a way, not fair to them. Yeah, think about when Trump was running for president in 2016 and Hillary Clinton, the Democrats, brought onto the stage at the convention the Gold Star family. Do you remember this? No. A Gold Star family is a family that lost one of their members in war. Okay. And this family lost a son. And they they were from the Middle East. I don't know if they were from Iraq or Iran or where they were from, but anyway, their son enlisted in the army and he went and fought and he died. Okay. And the Democrats bring him up on the stage and they're waving their flags and they're speaking. These people are speaking about how much they love America and you know, they made this incredible sacrifice and everyone applauded for their sacrifice. Yep. They go, right, wonderful. And the Democrats are doing this on purpose because most people look at the Republicans as tougher in wartime than the Democrats who are more wishy-washy. So it's a little bit of a show. It's a bit of a show. And they asked Trump about it. And he says, well, if I were president, their son would be alive today because I wouldn't have sent him to fight in this stupid war. People flipped out. They flipped out. That's the point that I'm trying to make. You've got to be careful what you say to people where somebody died. He, he said a similar thing about, about John McCain when people said, well, John McCain's a war hero, and McCain was opposed to Trump. And Trump said, well, I prefer my heroes not to have been captured, not to have gotten themselves captured. And he has a point. Most people don't pay attention to the fact that John McCain screwed up and got himself captured by the Vietnamese. Well, we, we overlooked that. We don't want to go into that. Right. We don't want to go into that. We don't want to go into that. No, no. But young John McCain was a screw-up. He crashed at least two planes in his, in his career before going to Vietnam. But that's neither here nor there. The point is that Trump was saying exactly what I was thinking, as he often did when he would say things that people in the heartland were thinking. He was saying the unconventional thing. Why did we send this bright young man to die? For what? And here we are 20 years after the invasion of Afghanistan. We look back and say, what did we do this for? What do we get out of this? So then what are the Russians getting out of this? Well, I guess what they want is a puppet government like the one in Belarus. Okay, understood. They don't want a Ukraine that is oriented to Europe, which is what the Ukrainian people want. They don't want to be oriented to Russia because Russia has done horrible things to them. Yeah. Stalin starved four million of them to death. Yeah. They remember that. I mean, they have relatives who, who died at the hands of the Russian communists. Back in the 30s, and you or there's got to be no worse way to, to go than Horrible. starvation. Yeah, 
How much do you want to drag that out? They sent the Russian troops around to confiscate their food. I know. And pile them up in carts and haul it away, and while and people stood there and starved. Yeah. So they're remembering this, saying, no, we want to be a European country. There's we want great... to be a free country. We want to be right. a okay. free, not communist. They're corrupt. This is not news. Their idea of democracy and our idea of democracy is a little different. <laughs> semi-democratic, semi-presidential. I don't know what they have some term for it. It's different. But it's not the autocratic government that Putin is. Yep. So there's an ideological conflict there. And ideologically, we're on the side of the Ukrainians. Some of the Republicans were siding with Putin and the, and the Russians there for a while. I think that's because Donald liked him. Yeah, but I think they have realized that's a mistake. Most Americans reject that. Good. But I just keep coming back to what Jerry was saying about the fantasy of war. It's a very seductive fantasy. Sure it is. It's a very seductive set of heroic fantasies. And plus, it's a conflict that potentially has a winner and a loser, and we want to be the winners. You That's know, right. We want to be on the winning side, and we want the reinforcement that winning will bring to us. We want the reinforcement of our righteousness. We're right. We're not always right. Sometimes we make mistakes. We're human, blah, blah, blah. But in this case, oh, no. In right. this case... Putin is evil, he's Hitler, Biden is FDR, we're standing up for those those wonderful Ukrainian people, and I just... Everybody loves that, don't oh they? Oh, my God. I mean, it was no accident. So predictable. There's no accident that that documentary was on TV. No, that documentary is like seven years old. Yeah, they dusted Why? it off. All of a sudden, yeah, it's going to win an award. Oh. It got overlooked. <laughs> all of a it sudden. It got overlooked. All of a sudden, it's highly relevant. I couldn't take my eyes off of the thing. It was so gripping just wow. and moving. It was so moving. Well, I'm going to have to watch you it. you got to watch it. I forget the name of it. You'll help me out. But we want, we as a culture, we as a society, we want, we want to be part of this this conflict. Yeah. It's like a football game. We want to root for the team that's going to win. We want to root for the champions. It's very, very complicated emotionally. Yeah. Intellectually, they're all, we're talking about history and we're talking about economics and we're talking about warfare and we're talking about all the, the stuff that we always talk about politics, yeah. yep. right? They don't talk about the social psychological part no. of this. No, they don't. They don't talk about what's going on underneath. What's jerking our chains? Yeah. I'm resisting it. I'm trying not to be sucked into it. I spend it's a lot. It's very seductive. It's it is. You're being seduced by this amazingly beautiful fantasy in which the good guys are going to fight the bad guys and yeah, they might be down in act one but in act two they're going to pull even and then in act three they're going to come back and they're going to win right and they're going to be there at the finish line with their heads held high and with their yellow and blue flags flying and the russians are going to slink back to their bases in russia with their tails between their legs and we're all going to be cheering talk about a fantasy they were liable to be at war for 10 years we may not even see the end of it and if some idiot 
pushes the freaking button. Yeah. What then? What then? They're fighting in Chernobyl, right? You heard about this? You no. don't have to keep in tr- I'm, no. I'm obviously more engaged. Completely. That's not a surprise. <laughs> I'm not a surprise. They're fighting in Chernobyl. Chernobyl had that incredible meltdown how many years ago? I, I don't know. In the 90s. Yeah. And they still have tons of spent fuel rods. Hanging uh, around. Stuff that, ha- stuff that hasn't been cleaned up properly. It's just sitting there. They've got active nuclear reactors. Yep. And they're fighting. Right. They're, ha- they're having gun battles. Or well, around all the equipment. and Any sergeant could blow up something that would cause nuclear... A chain reaction. Or, or just nuclear pollution... Right. ...of half of Europe. <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh. I'm sorry to laugh. I'm sorry I, to I laugh. Know. But the insanity of it. Yeah. How could they? How could the Russians? How could anybody be that stupid to fight with 20th century weaponry in a skirmish that could literally make half of Europe uninhabitable for decades? Yeah. This is insanity. It's the height of insanity. So much of the modern world is the height of insanity that when we started talking, you said, "I'm having trouble." getting my old spunk and, and energy and i'm and i'm just i'm thinking that that we're accustomed to much less insanity and much less stress that's yeah. just there it's, it's you know. minute to minute you just see this all crumbling and so, it's very disquieting if trump gets reelected, we're gonna have four more of this stress oh, then, then then you're gonna have civil war in the streets i think and is trump gonna side with putin yeah, of course he is. Yeah. They're buddies. Yeah, well, because he owes them money. <laughs> he owes the whatever, oligarchs money. Whatever the reasons. <laughs> Biden went after the oligarchs. I mean, you know. Can't do that. Well, yeah. I mean, he, big time. And the and the Republicans, some of the Republicans are cheering him on, you know, like, get their yachts, that kind of nonsense. But all of this stuff threatens to expose the fictional nature of the hero system. There you go. And you're not allowed to do that. And the fictional nature of the humanly constructed system that we find ourselves in, where this thing is extremely fragile. Yeah. And we've talked about this. The Barzun is telling us very plainly, look, we're in a 100-year cycle here, a 100-year era of decadence. Yeah. We're 100 years into it, basically. Yeah. And he guesses there's another 100. And he's saying there's another 100. Before, before something new emerges, whatever that's going to be. What Dan Lichty is saying is, this is the world. You're not going to change it. No. This is the world. Accept it. Work toward, what does he call it? Human... Flourishing. Flourishing. Thank you. What a wonderful word. Amazing phrase. It's so hard because we're going along. We're saying, oh, yeah, we had these wars in Afghanistan and in Iraq. But it, come on. It's like when Dan talks about invading Grenada. It's like, okay, fine. What was the Taliban going to do to us? Right. But did the Taliban roll any tanks down Main Street? No. Did the Iraqis do anything to us? No. And could they do anything to us? Eh, maybe they could put a terrorist on an airplane with a box cutter, but come on. But Russia? 
with nukes, with this gigantic army, well-trained, well-equipped army. They can do stuff to anybody they want. Anybody. And they're united with China. And now they're going to form a, what, an axis with North Korea and Iran and whoever else. And you're saying, well. This sounds like it could be problematic. It sounds scary as anything. So Dan is saying, well, except the world that you're in. Well, what it did to me when Russia invaded, I went, I thought human nature had gotten beyond 19th century warfare, and it hasn't. Nope. Jack Moscow is 100% right about our species. So was my cousin David. There you go. Yeah. And so talk about same. two guys on the opposite yeah. extremes of the political you know, spectrum. That, that's how you know when something's true. Yeah. yeah. When people are yeah. triangulating around it yeah. from all different yeah. points of view. And, and they're going, yeah, we may not agree on much, but we agree on that. So Dan is saying, this is the world. And I don't, like, don't want to live in this world. No. I, don't live, I don't want to live in a society of severely flawed people who are capable of this kind of violence at the drop of a hat. Yeah. We're looking at the wholesale slaughter of thousands of Ukrainians and the displacement of millions of Ukrainians. How many more? Another million, two, three million? How many Ukrainians are going to flee that country to escape this wholesale slaughter? And how long is this war going to go on? Right. Risking nuclear war. And we're saying, boy, I thought human beings were better than this, and they're not. No. What a freaking disappointment I that know. is. When I first was introducing Dave to the ideas of Ernest Becker, and you and I are all like, yeah. we're going to help change the world <laughs> with these ideas, and he's looking at me, you know, and I can tell he's just, you know, this, my, my little idealistic cousin, he's, he's such an idealist. He hasn't even got one foot in reality. Pat him on the head. Here's a cookie. Yes, here's a cookie. You you go off and you go off and make your uh, TV show perspective. You go. That's a good idea. And that's why he was always behind democracy and capitalism. Because he said uh, yeah. it takes the best account of mankind as he is. Yeah, and that's what you're railing against. That's what I was railing against. I mean, can we still be this stupid? Answer. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. We learn nothing. We learn nothing. We're still this creature filled with lies and fantasies and, and illusions fear. and fears. Yep. And dread. Yep. That we're fighting against to overcome. And we're willing to slaughter thousands of people just to keep from thinking about our own demise. And Dan is saying, this is that's, the world. That's except the world you're that's, in. That's yeah, that's and we where have we no choice because no. he's saying, "Look, you can't change it." Barzoon is saying, "You can't change it." No, it's, he's saying you got to welcome it. You've got to welcome it. You've got to live with it. You got to live with it. I can't. I can't get my head around that. I know. I know. I, I just can't. I can't. And when you're when you're it. when you're thinking the thoughts you're thinking, you are almost in the category of a religious person. You're literally trying to see a better fantasy, if you want to call it that, where people can get along. And Becker, in the end of uh, Escape from Evil, he says, if I wanted to give in 
to the the worst scientific fantasy that I could imagine. And in other words, he's apologizing in advance because I know this isn't going to happen. He says it would be to have scientists from all over the planet working together under an agreed science of human unhappiness, something like that. Human unhappiness, unfreedom, whatever it was. Freaking but, scientists can't even decide whether you should wear a mask or not. I, what are you talking about, I know. Ernest? I know. Yes, there's nothing that can be done except we can say, look, fantasies like stand your ground, like military heroism, like Audie Murphy heroism in the nuclear age is crazy. You can't entertain those fantasies that marched young boys off to war in 1918. You can't do that today the way you could then. No. Because those fantasies could literally blow up the planet. Yeah. Or at least kill several billion people, ruin the economy for an entire generation or two, cause untold mayhem. But we've got to recognize that fact. Instead of beating the drums of war, shouldn't the press be saying, folks, let's dial this back? Yeah. Wouldn't you think? Do everything you can. And Biden is up there in the State of the Union, and we impose these sanctions, and we're going to stop them. And everybody's cheering, yeah, yeah. Go, Joe. Republicans, Democrats, everybody cheering, yeah, yeah, we impose these sanctions. And then you see news reports, Putin livid over the sanctions. You don't want a man with nukes to be livid. You want him to be calm. You want him to be okay. You want him to sit back and say, you know, maybe we don't need to gobble up Ukraine today. Maybe we can work something out here. Maybe we don't need to launch the nukes. Maybe we can just make a deal and say, okay, we won't let Ukraine join NATO, they'll be neutral. And people are saying, oh, no, Ukraine is a free country. They can be part of NATO if they want to be part of NATO. Well, you know, I heard oh. somebody say that Putin is trying to, he's building his immortality. He's building his immortality. I know He people wants are, to be remembered. I know. People are saying that. Who knows? They don't know Putin. Nobody knows what Putin's thinking. I know. Who the hell knows? I know. Everybody's speculating on that. But, God, come on, folks. Can we just get away from these these tried and true fantasies that, yeah, they make you feel good in the moment, temporarily, but in the cold light of day, you sit and look at it and go, what are you doing but stoking the fires of war and hardening the hearts of the Russians that you want to feel kindness, tenderness toward their fellow Europeans, the Ukrainians, who most Russians have very favorable views of Ukrainians, and most Ukrainians have a favorable view of Russians as a people, but Ukrainians don't want to be dominated. Well, okay, the Russian people understand that, but we're poking the bear. Yeah. And we're saying, oh, we'll poke the bear some more. Ah, ha, ha, this is fun. We feel like we're tough guys. We get a reward we get an emotional you get a reward. you get a, an adrenaline hit you and, get a hit a, from poking the bear yeah oh, yeah man. you do no <laughs> don't do it so you have to go up to 30,000 feet to be able to see 
the benefit of looking out for human flourishing. As long as you're down close to the conflicts and close to the the silliness and the deception, you can't remember that, oh yeah, we are all the same biological entity. Oh yeah, it probably would be good if we continued to exist here, you know? It's so hard. Yeah. But think about what Jerry Piven was saying to us. I don't want to eliminate any kind of possibility of optimism or possibility of humanity ever being compassionate. There are there are people who are genuinely compassionate out there. There are people who are ardently working for the good of humanity that, uh, in ways that don't involve demonization and othering and slaughter. There are all sorts of, I mean, really amazing trends among young people where they're doing great stuff for the environment and bringing people together and really trying to combat this sort of adversarial violence. Lots and lots of people who really do care, and they're not caring in a way that demonizes and vilifies and destroys others. They're really amazing people out there who are doing incredible things for humanity and the environment. So there is, I think, cause for some optimism that there really is compassion out there, and there really is a loving perspective that isn't just self-righteous and vengeful. Now, is there hope that we're not going to destroy ourselves? Is there a legitimate, reasonable hope that the people out there committed to this kind of compassion are going to win out against the violence and the self-destructiveness? And I think there is some reason to have a certain amount of, at least not unrealistic, but hope and esteem for so many amazing people in the society who are enduring injustice and enduring our inhumanity to each other and somehow managing to survive with the capacity for love and compassion. I find that incredibly amazing. Uh, so yeah, there is a reason to think that human beings are capable of, of really just truly appallingly humane acts toward one another. Important ideas, Steve. Folks, join us next time. Like us on Facebook. Please recommend us to your friends. You can find us at www.thehubforimportantideas.com. And support us on Patreon at www.patreon.com front slash thehubimportantideas. We are 100% listener supported. And please check out our documentary video series, Conversations with Solomon, Exploring Human Motivation, now on YouTube. Thank you for listening to The Hub for Important Ideas. I'm Steve James. And I'm Ken Swain. Stay safe, everybody. Stay well. This has been a Contemporary Heroism Initiative production.